1: In addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees of law. One, I'm a master of the law of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the law's of intellectual property law. Both of my master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in beautiful downtown San Francisco. And because of my training, my experiences, my expertise, and my interest, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and taxation law. And I'm also proud to say that as part of my practice, I am sometimes also able to have the opportunity to seek to vindicate the rights of seniors who've been themselves victims of the various forms of financial elder abuse, which seems to be running rampant throughout our communities today. I am, as always, so pleased to be able to come to you once again from the beautiful KFAC studios in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting families and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information information that might be helpful to you listeners as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances, and hopefully helps you to develop an outline of some of the issues that you may need as you seek out and find qualified professional help. I do this because, as I'm known for saying, representing yourself in a legal matter is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight and That's because if you're lucky and you get real, real close to your adversary, you might be able to scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye with your blunt butter knife. Uh, But more likely, she will have you right in the crosshairs of her her long or short weapon and you're going to be dead on arrival. And I'm not talking about you as a person. I'm talking about your valid claims and or defenses will likely see the promised land long before you do. So... Once again, I must share with you the purposes of here uh, on KFAX, Selwyn's Law here on KFAX, in case you haven't guessed, is to discuss the law related to your money or lack thereof and the finances. Uh, These are things that you need in order to protect your family's financial health, wealth, and your money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts, and to do so in a non-threatening form. And I got to tell you guys, um, as I decide what I'm going to do in the next iteration of my life, I've decided uh, that when I put down, you know, working as a lawyer 24-7, I really want to focus on helping educate the various communities out there about financial issues as related to the law. And in fact, in as much as I have gone back to school at Golden Gate University to be part of their entrepreneurship program— the project that they're helping me on is to launch a digital Selwyn's Law that's going to be a subscription based service uh at a very, very modest price to go into the homes of small business owners and women who head households specifically, but and church organizations because you know, you might not know this, but churches also on occasion, find themselves in bankruptcy court. So if that's an area that uh, I really am uh, focusing on, and I'm so pleased to be able to come to you here on KFAX and share some of my knowledge and expertise as I prepare for to launch the next phase of my, my business life. With that, you know, uh, we've been talking about entrepreneurship for quite a while, and um, the last time we were together, I completed... Uh, the discussion on the creditor's rights in bankruptcy because I consider um, entrepreneurship to be a two-sided coin, the same as the god Janus in in mythology. That is to say, you have the good times and bad times. You have times when your business is prospering and there's times when your business might be depressed. So you need to know about bankruptcy law from both a debtor's perspective or if you're um, a vendor to other people, who might find themselves um, dealing with bankruptcy court from the other side, that is to say, the creditor's perspective. So that's what I've been trying to share with you for the last few weeks. So today, I want to start a conversation about a very special kind of bankruptcy that Congress established just for farmers and fisherpersons. <clears throat> it's known as a Chapter 12 which in essence, in my opinion, takes some of the best provisions of Chapter 13 small business bankruptcy. And as you recall, Chapter 13s are designed for individuals, that is to say uh, entities, human beings who bleed and breathe. And it incorporates some of those special provisions into the most friendly provisions of a small Chapter 11 bankruptcy. That is because... Uh, a chapter eleven can be very complicated and confusing. So a uh, chapter twelve, again, which is geared towards farmers and fisherpersons, because um, it was initially established for just for farmers, and you know that because of you know the nostalgic feeling that um, basically a substantial part of the founding of our great nation was coming from the farm community. In fact, um, one of our first presidents, Thomas Jefferson, was a farmer, and he and uh, Hamilton, who was more of a business uh, kind of individual, Hamilton established uh, our national bank systems. Um, there was, those were the two um, groups of entities that came together to form a more perfect union that we're going to celebrate, or we are in the midst of celebrating um, this week, uh, the 4th of July. Um, you know, I do. I, I want to talk about uh, chapter uh, twelve because of where we're located. We're in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area, and as you know, in our area there are many uh, farmers, uh, most uh, vineyards, per se, and throughout California we have a large and diverse farming and fishing community that unfortunately have been and continue to be negatively impacted by the fallout of some of the public policy decisions that have been made and continue to be made by folks back in Washington, D.C. concerning our trade policy uh, that continues to have uh, a negative impact on some farmers and also um, some who don't realize that there is a climate change uh, going on in uh, our our government's policy or non-policy about climate change. And some of you might not realize that as a result of the change in climate that we witness every day, it's affecting our fresh and salt water habitats and the ability to produce consumable fish by the fisher persons who work for us every day and we don't even realize until we go to the fish market and we're looking for some something consumable and tasty for ourselves and our families to eat. But first, uh, let's look at the overall public policy rationale behind the creation of Chapter 12, Bankruptcies. Um, And I'm using as my primary source uh, one of the uh, treatises that I use uh, almost every day, uh, Bloomberg Law's Bankruptcy Treatise. They have a section giving the history of the different kinds of bankruptcy. So, in effect, Chapter 12 of the Bankruptcy Code was originally designed to protect family farmers, beginning with the Great Depression and continuing through and to today with the advent of large commercial farming operations that are gobbling up our small family farms. The number of family farms in the United States has steadily and consistently declined following a brief boom period in the 1970s when there was substantial low interest rate loans that made many people say, you know, I'm going to reconsider being a farmer since I can get this low interest loan and buy the equipment that I need and, and, and buy more land. It makes sense. But unfortunately, the agricultural industry experienced its worst period of decline since the Great Depression in the first half of the 1980s. And that's when interest rates, as we all will recall, substantially increased for everybody, but most particularly for farmers. And, you know, as a result of while they were on the incline, they overproduced products, uh, um, uh, and that drove the price of the individual produce down, and then banks began to foreclose on farmers. And that And with that backdrop, in 1986, Congress enacted Chapter 12 of the Bankruptcy Code dedicated exclusively for the preservation of family farms. Chapter 12 was implemented as a short-term measure, but it kept being extended and up until 2002 when the entire Bankruptcy Code was overhauled. So when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on the history and the implementation of Chapter 12. But first, we're going to take a short break.
0: Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back. Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of Chapter 12 bankruptcies. Again, Chapter 12 bankruptcies were implemented by Congress in the mid-80s to deal with the fact that farmers were having a significant amount of trouble maintaining small family farms. And those of you who care about music will remember that Willie Nelson had this Great concert, Farm Aid, and had a lot of really great artists to support farmers. And that kind of got the ball rolling and got Congress interested in helping out farmers. And so this is a time when artists can impact Congress. And maybe we need a little bit more of that, although you don't want to hear me try to sing. Okay, so again, it was implemented in 86 it kept getting extended, and then there was an overall change in the entire bankruptcy code that took place in 2005. When that happened, Chapter 12 became permanent, and the code section was expanded to include family fisher persons, who some say were dealing with the same kind of financial constraints as farmers, and others say not, but that was the public policy. These are two kind of quirky enterprises, and I say that with a great deal of respect, but because of their uniqueness, the family nature of them, because a lot of fisher persons are family-owned businesses that are, the boats is the major asset that are transferred from father to son or father to daughter down through generations. And so family fisher persons got included in the chapter 12. I would add that Although a very important chapter in the code, the number of chapter 12 filings are relatively small when compared to all of the other chapters. For example, according to some statistics that have been collected and disseminated by the executive office of the court, of the 789 in 20 bankruptcy cases filed in 2017, only 501 were chapter 12 cases. However, and as I stated earlier, with the advent of our trade policy against China and the European Union that took place last year, and their retaliatory restrictions on purchasing the products of our farmers and other commodities, it is my understanding that the number of Chapter 12 filings have substantially increased in 2018 and 2019. Now, Chapter 12 offers family farmers and fisherpersons persons a bankruptcy alternative in addition to Chapter 11's and Chapter 13's. That because a full Chapter 11 proceeding may be too expensive and procedurally complicated for a family farmer and, and or a family fisher person. The Chapter 13 may be unavailable due to the debt limits that are imposed on Chapter 13's and... Sometimes family farmers and family fisherpersons have substantially more debt than is available to carry in a 13. And also the fact that family operates a business as an individual or a corporation, that's allowed in a Chapter 12, whereas I've stated earlier in a 13, you have to be a human being, that is to say, a man or a woman and your spouse, somebody who bleeds and breathes air in order to be in a 13. So a chapter 12 is a very interesting intersection of chapters 11 and 13, and it's, it's basically a hybrid. So who may be a debtor in a chapter 12? Well, it must be a family farmer or a family fisher person with regular annual income. The regular annual income requirements ensures that the debtor will have sufficient and stable income to make the payments under a Chapter 12. Unlike a Chapter 13, which is limited to individuals, as I said, a Chapter 12 may be an individual and his or her spouse. It may also be a corporation or a partnership. So what are the requirements to be in a Chapter 12 for a family farmer? The farmer, again, as an individual or an individual and his or her spouse, must own and be engaged in a farming operation. So I'm put a pin in that. Here in the Bay Area, there are certain kind of farms <laughs> that are not allowed to be in bankruptcy, not because they're not farmers and not because I have anything against them. It's just that the federal government, which handles bankruptcies, doesn't like to provide protection for any kind of business that's engaged in cannabis. So I'm just putting that out there. So if you think that's wrong, you need to talk to your your elected officials. So must be engaged in the family farming operation. Also, there's debt limits. It's a little bit more than $4,100,000. That number changes every three years, and it's in the process of changing now. Also, the farmer must have at least half of her debts, including debts on the principal residence. They have to arise out of the farming operation. That is to say, the debts are primarily business debts, and they're primarily related to the farm and not for other sub-tending businesses that aren't directly related to the farming operation. The debtor must receive more than 50% of her gross income from the farming operation for either the preceding taxable year or for both the second and third preceding taxable years. So you're in distress right now and how they make a determination, they being your lawyer in the bankruptcy court and the parties in being, they look at what happened last year. Where did your income come from? And if last year also was a bad year, that second and third year. So they're 50% of the gross income. So the definition of farming operation includes dairy farming, ranching, the production of crops other than marijuana, poultry, livestock, or produce of the same, such as eggs. If the family owns the land and is renting it for cash as opposed to a share of the crops, Rather than directly working on the land, the family owners may fail to satisfy the farming operation. So what does that mean? That means that if you have land and you're renting it out to someone who's not engaged in farming, you might find yourself running afoul file one of the requirements because you're, that's not the principal business. Your principal business is renting out land, if that's so determined. So, so that's for an individual farmer to qualify as a corporation or partnership farm, because again, you can be an individual partnership or corporation and still be a small family farm, at least 50% must be owned by one family and its relatives. So that means other people who are not your relatives can own 49% of the corporation or the partnership, but the family that's seeking protection owns at least 50%. So at least 50%, maybe it means 50-50, but that's one of the requirements. Having farm operations that are conducted by the family or its relatives. So again, the family farmer has to be the one that's doing the work, not the lawyer that has 50% of the business or 49% of the business. The, The corporation have at least 80% of its value derived from the assets relating to farming operations. As you know, corporations can have subtending entities that might own other assets, but in order to qualify as a family farm corporation or partnership, 80% of the value of the assets must be related to the farming operations, tractors, trailers, combines, all that good stuff that farmers are used to. Again, they must have aggregate debts of less than a little over $4 million, and at least half of the debt, excluding the principal residence, arising out of the farming operation, that is to say business debts. Now, i got to tell you, there's some pending legislation going on now. Back in Congress, there's a bill that's being floated entitled the Family Farm Relief Act of 2019, If it's passed by both houses and signed off by the president, it will increase the debt limit to $10 million. This is because many family farmers and partnerships these days can easily exceed in excess of $4 million threshold requirement. Those who have currently met the description of family farmers and who are partnerships or other entities who exceed that amount, as I said, that's the debt cap. They're forced to utilize the more complicated, expensive, and restrictive bankruptcy avenues that include a Chapter Seven liquidation, which you might not want to do because you want the entity to continue on, or a Chapter Eleven. So I put that out there on the horizon. So those of you who are farmers, you might want to find out more about this bill and let your senator and or your representative know that you think it's a good idea. Because some equipment on farms, as many of you know, can cost a million dollars. And if you lose, you know, a couple of those pieces of equipment, you can't continue on. And if you're distressed and you're not generating the income, you might lose that. So having increased debt limits might be an appropriate thing to do for farmers. But on the other side, it's like they say farming. There's not very many businesses that file for Chapter 12. In comparison to all the other kinds of bankruptcies that are filed. But I gotta tell you, in my opinion, farmers are being targeted by large corporations who wanna gobble them up. And, you know, pretty soon it might just be that we no longer see uh, family farms being a viable uh, kind of small business. And um, those of us who spent some time on a farm know that in addition to producing. Uh, good quality food for for us to eat and animals for us to to consume, um, grow some pretty decent people. Uh, again, that that's my opinion. So, uh, again, the um, it's the Family Farm Relief Act of 2019, and it would increase the debt limits for uh, Chapter 12s up to 10 million dollars. So. I am going to leave it there for now. And When we come back next time, I'm going to talk about family fisher persons and what are the requirements for them. And then uh, I'll expand on some of the filing requirements and other issues that come up in tw- Chapter 12. Because like I said, many of you within the sound of my voice are, are farmers or fisher persons or you know and care about someone who is. So, again, we're going to leave it there for now, but as always in closing, as I like to say here at Selwyn's Law and KFAX, we always want to try to stay on the right side of the law because I just think it's a basically good thing to do. (laughs) Until next time, take care.